at Sif Pop. We're your movie friends. But are friends really friends? If you don't know them. So grab a popcorn. And head over to our row. So we can chat movies. Like friends do. There's always room. For more movie friends. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Welcome. 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 To the writer's room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. My name is not Aaron, it's in fact Robert. Uh, I'm one of the editors at SifPop.com, and today I'm joined by SifPop.com writers Sam. Salutations, as Charlotte from Charlotte's Web would say. Excellent. And Shane, the Wasteland reviewer. Out of the Wasteland and into the writer's room, so welcome. Wonderful, wonderful. We're here today to talk about some of the biggest movie releases of January 2024. We're going to be talking about The Beekeeper, The Book of Clarence, ISS, Mean Girls, Memory, Night Swim, Self-Reliance, and Society of the Snow. Uh, and we each have a couple wild cards at the end that we are going to mention briefly. Um, time codes are in the episode description if you want to hear us only talk about certain movies. And uh, we're not sure if we're going to be talking about spoilers like I've been saying the last few months. So if that comes up, we'll give you plenty of warning and then we'll come back around to it at the end. So if you haven't seen the movie, you can skip uh, those conversations. Lastly, we're going to be rating each of these movies on the classic Sif Pop scale of like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay. So with that... Let's get into these movies. The Beekeeper, one man's brutal campaign for vengeance, takes on national stakes after he's revealed to be a former operative of a powerful and clandestine organization known as the Beekeepers, directed by David Ayer, starring Jason Statham, Emmy Raver-Lampman, Josh Hutcherson, and Jeremy Irons. Shane, what did you think of The Beekeeper? Oh, was it fun to watch Jason Statham cut through people like butter for, like, 90% of this movie and then it forget that oh crap he should probably actually have a competitive fight um yeah that was fun uh B puns B references unbelievable yes <laughs> this was so dumb though and so outrageous and it just kept getting more outrageous and then it was acting like hey we have some big surprises for you but you probably guessed them within the first 25 minutes of the movie and at least some people in this movie were having fun but there was so many pieces of this film like why is this character here why are they here is this adding anything to the movie the answer is no um it was just ridiculous, and I did have some fun, and I was the only person in my theater laughing, which I feel like everybody else... Which also, this movie got a standing ovation at the end by my audience, and I'm like, I felt like I was watching a different movie. Yeah. Uh, so on, on the scale, what would you give it then? I didn't like it. <laughs> All that to say, I didn't like it. Sam? Uh, low side, low side of liked it mostly for the experience. I actually anticipated a higher number of B puns. I I walked in with the over under being like ten and a half, and I slammed the over and was like, "Yeah, there's gonna be like fifty B puns in this," and there was not. And me and my wife were very disappointed that not every line out of Jason Statham's mouth was just a B joke. We really wanted that to happen. Now that being said. Still an enjoyable time. I wouldn't vote for this for anything, but <laughs> it was an enjoyable experience. And Jason Statham's always cool. Like, what else can you say? He's cool. And, you know, I felt bad that they killed Felicia Rashad right at the beginning. It was like, she should have been in the whole movie. But I understand the sacrifice 
being necessary. Whoever, I don't know the actress's name who played her daughter, but that lady was on one the whole time, just like angry the entire movie. Like that's Jason Statham's bit. You're kind of getting on his corner there. (laughs) (laughs) Except for she's got hair and she's not British. That's the one difference. Um, Like sometimes you have, every time he said, sometimes you have to like protect the hive. It's like, all right, man, I've heard you say the hive enough times. I need you to say something about honey or stingers. You've said the hive too much. Let's, let's get a move on here, pal. Let's get a move on. Yeah, it was all literal references to B stuff. It wasn't like I got a buzz all over over to the call center yeah. or something like that. It was yeah. all just like protect the hive. That's it our, wasn't that's at the end. Setting. Like it, the very end was such a bummer because I was waiting for him to say "be seeing ya" and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man i I personally thought this one was on the low side of okay because uh, it had me at the beginning. Like you were just saying, Sam that that opening scene it was really good. Uh, it actually got me in the heart. You know, I was like, okay, maybe this movie is going to have some weird version of heart, you know, the beekeeper. Uh, but then it kind of just gets bloated in its stakes. You know, it's, I thought it was going to be, he he feels this personal connection to this woman who was scammed. Um, and he's going to go after the guys who did it for her own sake. But no, it's because he's part of this larger national secret organization called the beekeepers. And it's much less interesting on that level. Uh, I did not care about the, you know, national <laughs> security stakes of the whole thing. Um, I will say two things about the call center part of it at the very beginning. Yeah. Number one, I'm glad somebody went and killed those people because those yeah. are the scum of the earth. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's where it had me bought in. <laughs> yeah. Like they, those kinds of people took like a thousand dollars off my wife's grandma. And I'm like, you're mm. terrible. You're just awful people. She doesn't know what you're talking to her about. Like, this is, you're terrible. So Jason Statham killing those guys and burning their place to the ground, totally good with it. The second thing is, I kind of work in a call center. It does not look that cool. It does not look that cool in there. Like, I'm not allowed to take pictures in my work office for proprietary reasons. But trust me, like, there's no, it doesn't look like it was made in the 21st century. It, it could look like it was built in the 60s. Like, I'll start scamming this- people and it'll look cooler. <laughs> Yeah. I'll give this movie's marketing team credit for only like focusing on like the first act of the movie. Yes. Yeah. Because at least it didn't give a bunch of stuff away. But also the movie it sold was literally the first act of the movie. And then that was the only part where, like you said, Robert, I actually cared. Because yeah, right. then once this turned into like this crazy unhinged over the top thing, I'm just like what? And it just kept getting bigger. And the <laughs> second that he, <laughs> And like, this is... I know people are like, he's like John Wick. No, this isn't like John Wick. Because you know what? John Wick actually gets his ass kicked. Yeah. This, this gets to the point where it's just like, the second he absolutely dismantles another person, quote-unquote, of his equal within like five seconds at a gas station, I'm like, oh, this is what kind of movie this is. Yeah. And then it forgets that, and it's like, oh, we should probably have a competitive fight at some point. It's like, no, you shouldn't have. No. Commit. Commit to the yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah, just have the dude be unstoppable. It'd be funnier. <laughs> it was John Wick in the sense that there's, like, a secret underground society of assassin guys, and that, like, everyone is, you know, in on it and knows about it. But, like, 
But like the it, stuff in the John Wick universe has cool names. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> beekeepers. Come on. I will say Jeremy Irons and Josh Hutchison are both very good in it. They like, were they're both, a lot of fun, they, even though I hated their storyline. They're both. Yeah, they both know what they signed up for. They got paid money and had fun. And I'm happy for both of them because yeah. they definitely had fun and I had fun time watching them. So there you go. If this gets us FNAF too, because Josh Hutcherson has more money now, great. I'm I'm down. Uh, the last thing that I'll say is that um, not only were there not enough bee puns, there weren't enough like literal bees. Uh, yes. It shows Jason Statham beekeeping a couple times, and they like shoot his the bee home or whatever. But it, you know, Batman Begins when he throws the thing down and the bats follow it, like do something like that with bees. Just like like you said, Shane, lean into the bit. You're calling your movie the Beekeeper. Come yeah. on. Let's get the bees involved somehow. Let's get people stung all over the face for scamming old people. Come on. You should have had like one of those like like artillery belts with like three or four jars of different types of bees to throw at people like grenades. That would have been the best. He's like, oh, these are just honeybees. Like I can tell that guy has no training. So here have some honeybees. Like this is a thing. Yellow jackets for those two assassins over there. (laughs) So much potential. <laughs> so much potential, so much wasted potential. I think with that, we should move on to the book of Clarence. I will say the, the poster oh, is sick. The poster is sick of him with like the bees fading into his silhouette is dope. I mean, it, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it says David Ayer on the poster, so that, like, that kind of okay. knocks okay. it down 17 pegs just by default. Yeah, maybe that's why I put it low side. I liked it. When's his cut of Suicide Squad coming out? It, I hope it doesn't. The Book Definitely of Clarence. This. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Struggling to find a better life, Clarence is captivated by the power of the rising Messiah and soon risks everything to carve a path to divine existence. Directed and written by James Samuel, starring Lakeith Stanfield, Omar Sy, RJ Seiler, and Diop, and like many more people whose faces and names you just very well, uh, very well recognize. Um. Yeah, I really like Book of Clarence. Uh, I was not expecting it to be like so unabashedly faith positive and like loving its its point of view, um, because so movies like this you would just kind of expect to be kind of a deconstruction of of faith or a takedown on Christianity specifically, because that's what this one deals with, obviously, because Jesus is a character in the movie. Um, but it's not that it it you know takes a fair point of view and it and it loves the world, it loves people. Um, it kind of critiques the people who have this this faith, but it doesn't really critique the faith itself. Uh, it treats it very earnestly um, and sincerely, and uh, I like that at the end of the day, it really believes in what it has to say. Um, even though it's kind of messy on the way there, I still really like the movie. Sam, what did you think of it? Well, having spent the entire last podcast I was on with you making jokes about The Passion of the Christ, <laughs> uh, I must say this was a much better movie than uh-huh. The Passion of the Christ. Not uh, better than Sound of Freedom, though. You know, I don't know if anything will touch The Sound of Freedom <laughs> exactly. ever, except for maybe, you know, the IRS, which we'll have to follow back on. So um, I will say the depiction of Jesus in this movie is probably my favorite depiction of him because a lot of times it's like he's this completely ethereal figure who can't okay i guess it's not my favorite depiction because i do love the chosen but 
this has the side of it where it's like, this is literally God, but also this is a dude leading people. And I respected mm-hmm. that quite a bit. I always love Lakeith Stanfield in a movie. I love his wit. I love his dryness. I love his physical performance as well. And it really felt like a loving depiction of that time and a loving depiction, maybe not loving, but it felt like a very accurate and well-made depiction of that time and of that era. And still with modern style. Yeah. And that part was done very well. And they have two massive superstars in very small roles with James McAvoy and Benedict Cumberbatch. And um, this is the best acting Benedict Cumberbatch has done in probably Mm -hmm. 10 years. Like, I joke, but I I loved his I loved his role in this movie, and I like James McAvoy's Pontius Pilate. I thought that was very good as well. It's it was a well rounded movie. I think it is a little messy, but there's probably a two hour cut of this instead of a two hour and fifteen minute cut of this that's succinct and works much better. Yeah, Shane, what did you think of it? I also I'd have loved this one. I will admit. Really, the main negative I have about it is like they try to do a lot. Yeah. There's a lot in this movie, but I loved what James Samuel did. And before my press screening, I don't know if they showed this in regular theaters, but they showed him speaking about his film and how he so much wanted to do a great homage to like Ben Hur and the Ten Commandments and films like that. And as somebody where who has Ben Hur in their top five favorite films of all time, watching this film and just the details and the passion for that old school epic filmmaking was very much appreciated. But it mm-hmm. never once felt like it got in the way of him having a very specific and a voice and expressing the black experience that he does in his films. And sure. There's a lot of things going on, but I love the journey that Clarence goes on in this film. And no, I did not expect this to get deeply emotional and heavy and actually give a meaningful and thoughtful exploration of faith. I just expect, especially based off the trailers, I thought this was just going to be a satire. Right. Uh, this is not yeah. Life of Brian. This no. is like something that, you know, it takes its jabs and stuff like that, but really respects the journey. And Lakeith Sanfield's one of the best actors working today. And mm-hmm. I loved his dual performance in this. Special shout outs to Omar Sy. I just loved his character. <laughs> so much fun. And this movie was legitimately funny. And yeah. the John the Baptist scene with David Oyelowo made me laugh so hard. And he was so committed to that scene. And yeah, even like the Tolkien white guys in the movie, like uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, which that was very unexpected. And I really enjoyed James McAvoy as Pontius Pilate and his interactions with Keith Stanfield. Just this film... It was really impressive, and I appreciated how bold it was and what it was trying to do. Heck, it even started with, like, a action chase scene at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And, it like, it did a lot of really awesome things and a really great ensemble cast. Better uh, chariot scene than Ben-Hur. Wow. Whoa. Uh, which Ben-Hur are you talking about? 
<laughs> uh, you, you beat me to the punchline. I was going to say the, the the remake. Um, you know, I uh, I'm ashamed to say I've only seen the remake of that. So oof. I'm very sorry. I'm very. I've sorry only seen the original. Uh, Sam, find three and a half hours of your life to go dedicate to watching that. Not on television, because then you'll need five. Yes. When does my show from experience? Not for another four and a half hours. All right, maybe after this. <laughs> um, I will say, I don't want to spoil it, but as the movie kept going on and I had seen Benedict Cumberbatch's names in the opening credit, I was like, where, where is he? Um, and then when I realized where he'd been and the way that he's incorporated, I do think that it's adds a little bit too much to an already stuffed movie, but I really did enjoy it because it's pretty funny. And I like, that, I was, that is the best part of sat of the satire, I think. Yeah. Um, because it I does incorporate some satire. When they had his name in those credits and when we didn't really see Jesus in the marketing, I was scared mm. that he was going to be Jesus. And I was like, ah, great. This is not going to be good. And spoiler alert, he is not Jesus, which is great. But he kind of is. And it's really funny. <laughs> but I agree. I think his whole involvement in the film was the bridge too far, I feel like. Because yes. it's been a decent amount of time throughout the film building that up. But, like, yeah, that the satire at the end was worth it. And I recognized him from the start, and I'm just like, oh, did you? Okay. where is this yeah, going to go? <laughs> Which also, I thought it was going to be very problematic. I'm like, I really hope what that is is what it is. <laughs> But no, like my wife and I recognized him right away. I'm like, this is going to be interesting. Is that the only part of the movie he's in? No, it's not. So <laughs> yeah, yes, you should see this movie. There's there's a lot to love about it. Yeah, I was squinting looking at that character who he plays. I was like, that, that's Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> that's him. All right. That's a choice. I do. I will say two more quick things. One, the main thing that makes it overstuffed for me is the love story, even though Anna Diop is really good, um, because I think that's where the movie is trying to get its emotional investment, um, even though I think the emotional investment is already good enough from the storyline of oppression. Um, so all, all the way that that's incorporated into you know the religious text of it, um, the, the characters of Omar Sy and R.J. Seiler I was invested in them and kind of was wanting to get back to them every time that Lakeith Stanfield is going off and, you know, pining for his lost love. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where it got to be a little bit too much for me. Um, But at the same time, Shane, you mentioned Omar Sy and how good he is. I like that the movie doesn't really like contradict. It's it's not a last temptation of Christ where it changes biblical events. Um, It like has all the biblical events happen. Um, but kind of talks talks about what happens in between the lines of that. So Omar Sy plays Barabbas, the guy who Pontius Pilate lets go because the people want him let go instead of Jesus uh, in the biblical story. Um, so just m- kind of recontextualizing the way that you might think of him instead of like this crazy mm-hmm. monster who everyone you know looks at as evil. He's like this good guy who was oppressed and and was wrongfully. Um, incarcerated and that's why he's he's in a position to be let go in the first place um i think that's a really interesting way to do it and i really like the way that it's it's done yeah the the overstuffing 
it kept us from also some fantastic stuff like Tiana Taylor's in this movie. I know she's yeah. barely in it. It's like it's Mary Magdalene. Yeah, it's like like you had Tiana Taylor. Just use her for make use her more. She's incredible. Like a a thousand and one is one of my favorite movies of the last year. Well, all I'm gonna say is I wish I had such good friends like the Apostles. I know <laughs> it's the, the Apostles. apostles. <laughs> that is, I don't think I'm ever gonna be able to say that correctly ever again after this movie. Is a good running bit. I think I might want to come back around to this for spoilers, just for your guys' take on the very end. Um, and that's all I'll say. I'll, I'll bring it back up real quick at the end. Let's move on to ISS. Tensions flare in the near future aboard the International Space Station as a conflict breaks out on Earth. Reeling, the U.S. and Russian astronauts receive orders from the ground to take control of the station by any means necessary. Directed by Gabriela Kalperthwaite, uh, starring Ariam DeBose, Chris Messina, John Gallagher Jr., Masha Mashkova, Costa Ronan, and Pilo Aspike. Uh, I will just start right off real quick and say right in there is okay. Um, yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff, especially towards the end. But it makes the massive mistake, in my opinion, that at the beginning it kind of keys you into every character's point of view and motivations so that there is no tension for a good amount of time because... If you didn't know some characters, uh, you know, motivations, then you would kind of be on the edge of your seat thinking like, oh, what's going to happen in this confrontation? What's going to happen in this conversation, uh, in this moment? But you know what each one is thinking and what each one is doing. So you're not really worried about what's going to happen um, again until, you know, everything hits the fan towards the end. And then you're you don't know what to believe. And then the tension is back. Um, it was interesting enough, you know the U S and Russia being up there together uh, and space movies are always interesting for, you know, just being in space. But beyond that, I thought it was a fairly airy movie, you know, not, not too much there, but it was 90 minutes. Shane, what did you think? I thought, yeah, I thought it was a lean thriller. It definitely was the most tense towards the end where things started getting a lot murkier in terms right. of, like, the character interactions. There was some character moments towards the beginning of the film that I was enjoying. I think they did a good job of getting a strong cast to sell it. And, you know, it has a really interesting concept. Like, mm -hmm. I saw this trailer pop up out of nowhere in December, and I'm like, when's this coming out? And then I'm like, oh, it's January. Because, uh -oh. like, I was watching this trailer, I'm like, this looks pretty legit. And then I'm like, but it's January. Um, you know, they have a lot of great actors from Ariana DeBose, really like Christmas scene and John Gallagher Jr. They even got Douche Pirate himself, Euron mm -hmm. Greyjoy, <laughs> to pop up in this. Um, it's, it's one of those kinds of things where it's just like, they had a pet potential to make a film that I would have loved, but they kind of just, I felt like this was a safe kind of like put together thriller that was rock solid. I thought it was like the high end of okay. Nice. Sam, what did you think? I hated it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll preface this. So I took my wife to see this. I didn't show her anything. I like, I saw the trailer maybe once or once intentionally, maybe twice in a theater. Um, and as we're in, as we go into this movie, my wife's like, I'm, I'm not a horror movie person. I can't do this. If this is a horror movie, I'm like, 
I don't think it's going to be a horror movie. People are probably going to die, but it's not going to be a horror movie. And it wasn't in the sense that you could see everything coming a mile away. But also, it. I didn't care about any of these people. <laughs> it really didn't do a, a good job, in my opinion, selling the characters to you and why you should care about them so much. And I think there was a lot of tenseness in the movie that kind of just attribute to you're up in space a hundred miles off the surface of the earth or however far up the ISS is. And I, I think they just banked on that a lot of the time for the tension mixed with what was supposed to be going on on the ground. And I didn't feel any sense of fear for the characters because in the end you knew somebody had to get out alive or that nobody would. And the tension, (laughs) the options. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two options. And it wasn't deep enough where there could be some other option available. And the added MacGuffin that I said, what other option would there be besides people getting out or not getting out? Nobody dying. Like honestly, how much more interesting, sorry, I guess I suppose this, how much more interesting would this have been if it was just the six of those people just completely disobey their government's orders (laughs) and just sit in there and talk and say, what are we going to do? It's like, how do we get down? Yeah. Cause we have important research up here for terrible things that are happening down there that honestly might be beneficial. That would have been interesting to me as opposed to like, let's just kill each other now. (laughs) And the, I suppose the zero G fight was the dumbest thing of 2024 so far, but you know, we're not even a full month in yet. So I was going to say not, a, not a super high bar just yet. No, not yet. Uh, not yet, but we're not starting off strong here. I probably have the opposite criticism of you in that I knew too much about the characters from the beginning, which is both a blessing and a curse. Cause like I said, I didn't have any tension, but then I also cared about all of them. And, and uh, John Gallagher, John Gallagher Jr would not stop saying he needs to get back to his girls. If that means his daughters, I don't know. If that means, you know, he has a couple girlfriends yeah. or his wife and his daughters, I don't know. He just needs, he so needs to get back like to his to girls. I think that it's him just like casually being like, yeah, I got some ladies waiting for me <laughs> yeah. back on the earth. He's a pimp. I don't, I don't know. He really likes me at Hooters. <laughs> he has a side gig. NASA doesn't pay him enough. <laughs> um, I also kind of got very dizzy with the zero gravity uh, cinematography. Like, you don't need to have the camera shaking all the time. You don't need to have it floating all over the place. The people are already floating. That's enough for me. You know, I'm in a big movie theater. I'm starting to get a little bit dizzy. That that might have just been me, a me thing, but it was starting to annoy me by the end. I don't recall thinking about it too much, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I think the main nice. visual thing, like... Like watching, like seeing the earth go like straight scorched earth underneath them looks pretty cool. Like visual, a visual effects perspective. I'm like, like, and that's the crux of the film. Like that's the concept. It's just like, all this is going on in the background. What are you going to do? And there's so many ways you could go doing it. And definitely could have been better. Definitely could have been worse. I've seen worse movies in space. Moonfall. Um, (laughs) <laughs> what would you say you've seen better movies like that's, moonfall that's, that's don't even <laughs> moonfall, forget gravity forget the martian i, I want moonfall and iss uh, 
I've seen much worse than this, aka Moonfall. <laughs> Let's pair this yeah. with Ad Astra. Let's do a double feature with ISS and Ad Astra. That sounds like a great. Well, movie. then I'm just going to hate this even more. I know. Yeah. I love Ad Astra. <laughs> That's not fair. It seems like in this movie. Because I did take my wife to Moonfall as well, and I took her to Ad Astra when we were engaged but not married. And every single time I take her to a space movie, she's like, she walks out like, I hated that, Sam. Like, why would uh, you do this to me? Why don't you just learn your lesson then? <laughs> you know, I know what? Stop taking her to space movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think I'm done taking her to space movies. <laughs> Good call. Sorry, honey. Let's move on to Mean Girls. Caddy Heron is a hit with the plastics on an A-list girl, an A-list girl click with her new school. But everything changes when she makes the mistake of falling for Aaron Samuels, the ex-boyfriend of Alpha Plastic Regina George. Directed by Samantha Jane and Arthur Perez Jr., starring in Gory Rice, Renee Rapp, Ali'i Caraballo, Jaquel Spivey, and again, many, many more. Uh, did, did I say her name right? It's Caddy, right? 100%. Yeah, I'm definitely going to remember that. Um, Lindsay Sam, what did you think of it? here to correct us. Uh, right. Yeah, what did you think of it, Sam? <laughs> I liked it. Um, if For the inciting action in this movie to be Caddy's attraction to uh Aaron Samuels um it's kind of there should be a better looking kid to play Aaron Samuels <laughs> so mean we went there right off the bat right off it's the not bat. ugly it's like also he's not a kid that guy's definitely over 18 so Still. I don't feel bad saying this but that was my that was both me and my wife's nitpick like okay. but all the music is great I remember uh, the other Aaron talking about this movie greatly about it coming out soon and being very interested in seeing it come out and people seeing it and how excited he was that it's not mm-hmm. just going straight to Paramount Plus. And they made the right choice. This was a great time. I mean, sitting at home to watch this versus in a theater would have been a bummer. Like in the theater, it was a great time. There's spectacle. It's fun to watch the characters dance around and sing. Everybody does a good job singing. I hated seeing those clips, like making the rounds on Twitter of people being bummed out that this was a musical. I'm like, do your research, man. Like, this isn't a remake. Like, it's a new thing. Yes, it's based off something else, but it's not just a remake of the OG. And I was very happy at the performances. Uh, Renee Rapp is very strong as Regina George. Uh, I feel like Angori Rice is going to play high schoolers until she's 35. <laughs> uh, she kind of sticks out in an odd way because she's not a big performer. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's not a big performer in the same way of like, um, in the same way that rap is and that she can like command a stage, but she's a good actress. And I think that, I think that was a good foil to be against rap in the movie. All in all, it was a good time. I will say I thought this was on the high side of okay. Um, as for the theater experience, my theater needs to get its stuff together because they cannot figure out aspect ratios. <laughs> the The regular, you know, the non-musical sections where the aspect ratio is higher, um, it was way too big for the screen and I was getting really annoyed. Thankfully, I got to see the excellent choreography because it fit once, the, you know, the aspect ratio changed for that. It fit onto the screen. Um, but man, that was rough. Um, because I think that's the best part of the movie. Anytime that there's singing and dancing going on, I didn't love every song. Most of it was just kind of forgettable to me. Um, though I did like the 
jungle song towards the beginning where uh, they're explaining, you know, the different, you know, how, how, the, how the high school is like a jungle, that and the revenge song, you know, that's a, that's a really good one. Um, and then the one that's essentially the Barbie speech uh, during the trust fall. Uh, I, I like that one too, but those are all fine. And I really haven't gone back to listen to them. Um, my main huge issue with the movie is that outside of the music, it is literally just the 2004 mean girls down to like the line deliveries. Um, the actress who played the Amanda Seyfried character, she's great and really funny, but she gives the exact same deliveries, you know, same thing with, uh, Katie's two friends. It's like, they're, they're good at it, but they really seem to just calibrate their performances to the original and not try to do anything different so that the audience could keep some sort of familiarity, uh, to a story and movie that they know while they're going out and doing the musical version. Um, and that really bugged me like a lot <laughs> because like I said, everything else was so really well done that when they're just doing the exact same thing, it's rough. Um, but besides that, I thought it was mostly a lot of fun. I had a good time. I liked the supporting actors a lot more than Angoria Rice. And my hot take is that Renee Rapp is not a great singer because I could not understand what she was saying most of the time. All of her words were bleeding into the others. And that was also really bugging me. I respect this take. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm leaning into it. I'm going to go with it. Uh, but I'll, I'll stop and let Shane say, uh, say what he thinks. I was also on the high side of OK. I'll, you know, I'll start with my theater-going experience. I saw this at 4 p.m. on opening day, oh and I was the oldest person in the theater, oh, first of all, and I'm just like, this makes me feel some ways. Um, <laughs> and, you know, there's some energy, but, like, th- I don't know, this crowd wasn't into it. And, honestly, most of the time I sat there, I just was sitting there in my seat, and I love musicals, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, Okay. Okay. What I feel like this was a hard translation because they should really call this not so mean girls because yeah. they neutered so much of like the really mean stuff that they do, which makes the whole entire point of the movie impactful. Right. This, like, and also how this ends, which I won't say specifics, but like, this is so like, we're all friends now. Uh, at the end, and I'm just like, that is not the point of this. Like, you, like, I just rewatched the 2004 film, and I'm just like, they're not all friends at the end, but they're okay with each other, and they right. respect each other. This was just so, like, it cut out a lot of, like, the really mean stuff. It also truncated the whole entire plot to make room for these songs where like everything felt so rushed and it didn't really have the same impact. And there's definitely some choices that I really enjoyed. Like I actually liked the idea of Janice and Damien being the narrators. And I feel like they would have committed to that a little bit more. And because that felt like a little bit more surrealist and you're taking a step back and this is a fun time, but they didn't do that with the musical numbers. A lot of them felt very restrictive to like, we're stuck in a room, like the house party thing. It's like, we're stuck in a house party when like, you could have been a lot more creative with this, with some of the other things that you did with like the garage and everything. So it didn't really commit to some of the more interesting things. 
some of the performances I really enjoyed. I think Renee Rapp and Alilo Cravalho was great too, which also is so interesting when Janice started saying, I'm like, Moana. Um, yeah. And they even took some of the jokes and tried to like overdo them. It's so, it's ironic because they're like, the whole entire point in the original movie is like, Fetch isn't going to happen, yet they won't let that joke go. And she kept trying to make the Fetch joke happen. Mm-hmm. And just stop. And this might be, does this really translate from millennial experience to Gen Z experience? I think it could have dealt with, where's the bullying really happening now? Online. And like, I feel like it dabbled in it, but like it didn't really commit to it. And, but overall, at the end of the day, there's some fun songs. I had a fun time. There's a couple of moments where I felt some things and, you know, I had a good time watching this movie, but it just didn't feel like it met any level potential that it could have had. I'm glad that you brought up the online bullying because that was an interesting new wrinkle to throw in there. But like you said, it doesn't fully go uh, into that's where the real bullying is. I think Alice, she wrote the review for the site. And she was talking about just how clicks aren't really as much of a thing anymore because high school has evolved and as social media has come out and, you know, just the world changes as time goes on. You um, could tell so, Tina Fey was still the the key writer in this because it is the same beats as the original yeah. one and social media isn't integrated in an, I don't want to say intellectual, but in a creative way or in a more cohesive manner. And that is, like Shane said, where the bullying happens now and finding a way to integrate that into a story would have been key to really connecting it. But I mean, Tina Fey's got other stuff to do. I think does she, I don't know. I was, I'm sure I know, she or Michaels was like, she could totally take over SNL. And I'm like, well, I think Tina Fey's going to be the head of SNL at some point. Yeah. No, no, thank you. <laughs> Lauren, you're going to run until you die. Sorry. Uh, I like Tina Fey a lot Um, (laughs) um, I don't remember what else I was going to say I don't think there's anything else I'm just going to throw one last thing Mm -hmm. Karen and Gretchen kind of got like screwed in this version of this movie because Karen is so dumb like so dumb and Gretchen like I feel like they took away so much from Gretchen in this movie and I'm just like, those are two really fun supporting characters. And also, you notice that Robert and I didn't even mention Aaron Samuel because he's even less of an yeah. impact in this movie than he was in the original one. I would, yeah. The only character who I would say I felt like was a real good upgrade and not in a rock star way, because Regina George is like a rock star in this movie, sure, is yeah. the guy who played Damon, Jack Wells, Spivy. I felt like he did a really good job. And, I'll agree with that. Yeah. And the same with Janice, Ali, Cavallo, like we said, or Cavallo, like we said, Moana's in this movie, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, it took me till the end, and I was like, wait, that's Moana. Why did I not realize this at the very beginning? <laughs> and it and it's no surprise then that she's one of the, I think, the best singer in the movie. And yeah. when she has that song at Easy. the end, it's <laughs> it, it it out. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to memory, though. Uh, Sylvia is a social worker who leads a simple and structured life. This is blown open when Saul follows her home from the, their high school reunion. Their surprise encounter will profoundly impact both of them as they open the door to the past. Directed by Michelle Franco, starring Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard. Uh, 
Shane, I'm going to let you start with this one before I get into my complicated feelings about it. Why, Robert? <laughs> Just because I, I think you definitely liked it a lot more than I did. Well, that's the thing. Like, I liked this movie. I didn't love yeah. this movie. I feel like it does fall into some heavy melodramatic elements, and it definitely overly simplifies some things for, like, cinematic purposes, like some of the characters and perspectives. But not going to lie, like, I think Jessica Chastain and Peter Sarsgaard give really powerful performances. They're both playing very complicated characters who are dealing with a lot of complicated things. Like, I did not expect this film to tackle so many really serious issues. Like, obviously, some of them are present in, like, the concept and the main crux of the story, but, like, there's some things that get unearthed that were pretty devastating. And, like, this is the most not-feel-good movie that you'll probably watch in January. Um, I just feel like it shows a very complicated relationship and I feel like the film gives it enough space for you to not feel like this is a fully overly Hollywood, like, Hey, they're meant to be together. No, there's a lot of people in a lot of pain that honestly are just happy to have some people who are empathetic and understand that you're going through some heavy things. And I feel like this film gives it enough space to be able to at least deliver that. Despite the fact that, like, I feel like this film could have easily been one of those, like, this is one of the top films of the year, it's complicated, it's important, but yeah. it does choose some cheaper decisions to try to make it a little bit more digestible. But there's still enough in there for me that I did like this film, and I thought that it was a well-made film. Sam, what would you think? Shane took all my good talking points. No, no, don't apologize. It's all correct. (laughs) This was the when we looked at the schedule of this, and as I went back through it before this podcast, I was like, "Oh, this is like the only like really good movie that came out this month." And I know technically it's a 2023 movie because of it being released at a festival or something. And I mean, I I saw it in December. Yeah, yeah, and I really thought. Having seen Jessica Chastain win her Best Actress Award for The Eyes of Tammy Faye a couple of years ago, I was like, this is way – this is such a better performance than that. <laughs> I agree. I yes. was like, this is incredible work she's doing here. This is such a difficult thing that she has to relate the trauma that she went through as a child. Now it's affected her life and her child's life now as a parent and her relationship with her family. That's such a complicated thing to convey in less than 120 minutes. like, And she does an incredible job. And it really was one of my favorite performances of the year. Peter Sarsgaard does, has an interesting role as well. It's a little more of a showy role in my opinion, but it is a role with depth too. And I'm glad that he got to show up and be in this and show some more of his talents. Uh, Elsie Fisher is, I'm Elsie Fisher is really having a good career post eighth grade with Bo Burnham. I'm glad that she's making some good choices with what she's doing. She was in Barry and now this I'm excited to see what else she's going to do. She wasn't the biggest role, but I'm really excited for her in particular to keep making smart choices. 
Just to clarify, I'm pretty sure Elsie Fisher uses they them pronouns. So Oh, uh, I apologize. I did not know. The, yeah. Um not an attack on you or anything, but just to clarify for everyone. Yeah. Um my thoughts what was that? They're great. Yes. They should do more. <laughs> um my thoughts on memory. I just thought of this while you guys are both talking. Um, Shane, I know you've seen this movie. Sam, I don't know. The movie Sundown, which is by the same director as this, um, starring Tim Roth. I I, did not realize that's from the same director. Oh, my. Yeah, I had a tough time with that one, too. Um, I think the director's problem for me is that he kind of leaves crucial things to be reveals later on. And that makes me very frustrated with the characters up until those reveals where there's not really a re- like a narrative, thematic, or character reason for those to have been reveals. Like if I had just known them from the beginning. I'm not going to say what it is in this case um, or in the other case. But like if I had known something very specific about Jessica Chastain's character having to do with the mother and having to do with her high school experience, I feel like I would have bought in a lot sooner um but instead i was wary of her of chastain and all of her um decisions basically from the jump um because you're not quite sure why she's doing things or what her motivation is um so for that reason like it felt very exploitative her relationship with peter sarsgaard who is uh struggling with early onset dementia that's what the movie's about um and Ultimately, the, the title memory comes from two separate ways. And this, the other way is that spoiler that I'm kind of talking about. Um, so I like what you guys have been saying, that it's an interesting way to tackle a very difficult uh, difficult subject. But at the same time, it just makes it really difficult for me to uh, invest and to get on board with the character because it, it doesn't tell me enough. It tells me enough about Peter Sarsgaard event like, there's it's a his introduction scene is a little creepy, but then you realize what's going on, and you're like, okay. But um, the Chastain it, it holds it too close to the chest for too long. Though I also will mention again, you, Sam, you said this is a better performance than Tammy Faye. I do think it's the movie is very well made. Both of those lead performances are excellent. Merritt Weaver is also excellent in this movie. Just like Sundown, which is a movie that many people haven't seen, this movie has a lot going right. There's just like one uh, decision decision that's at the crux of it that kind of throws the whole thing off for me. Obviously, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I was more on board on understanding why in this film in particular it takes so long to reveal because nobody wants to talk about it. Sure. Or acknowledge it. And that's part of the problem. Yeah. And I feel like that's part of the process. And I guess in my viewing experience, I was a little bit more open to being like, there's definitely other things going on here. Mm-hmm. And there's reasons why. Because that's the thing. There's always reasons why. Like the whole alcohol and like that kind of stuff. There's, there's always roots to that. And... Yeah, it definitely takes a long time for there to be reasons why certain things aren't happening or, like, the relationship between Jessica Chastain and her mother and why it's so acidic and problematic. I also, that film, Sundown, that definitely felt like one of those kinds of films where I'm like, there's a lot going on here, but something's holding it back. 
Right. And I guess this one felt less like that for me, for my experience. But no, I think this director needs to figure something out because <laughs> there definitely seems to be a pattern then. I get what you're saying about like, it's difficult to talk about. And I like that in theory and in concept. Um, it's just that when it goes on for so long, a reveal like that should be like, Oh, now I understand everything. It all makes sense. But instead I'm like, in my viewing experience, I'm just so frustrated with everything that's come before being like, okay, you should have just told me this earlier in some way. Um, but that's kind of where I come down on it. And I'm glad that we get to talk it out. Um, Let's move on to Night Swim. A family moves into a new home. A very similar film to Memory. We're gonna need a family a moves into a new home. Talk this one over. There's so much to discuss. <laughs> Unaware that a dark secret from the house's past will unleash a malevolent force in the backyard pool. Directed by Bryce McGuire, starring Wyatt Russell, Carrie Condon, a couple child actors, and other people. Um, I like baseball, so that's a good start. Uh, Wyatt <laughs> Russell is the former third baseman for the Brewers. Um, <laughs> But unfortunately, he uh, has a condition that no longer allows him to play. Uh, but beyond that, I just thought the movie was kind of low side of okay. The scares were... Oh, everything about it was just like the definition of okay. I never really got too much into it. The family dynamics weren't very fleshed out. I don't know why Like the sun feels different. They're just like, oh, the sun feels different. You're like, oh, okay. Um the pool itself isn't particularly scary uh, <laughs> to me. It's just like there's people the standing there, but they're not. Pool. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like aggressively okay. I ha- honestly forgot about the movie until I was prepping the show notes this morning before we started. So there's my thoughts on Night Swim. On, on that Sam. franchise note, Shane, we need, uh, we need Night Swim to the shallow end. And then Night Swim three will be the, the diving uh, board. Di- diving board. <laughs> Are we gonna get Night Swim five jacuzzi? Oh, <laughs> like they put a jacuzzi in? Because <laughs> like we need to spread this out. <laughs> Just this film was so fueling. This film was so frustrating because literally everything about it is. That was in like I like that, but right. And I I would have this under like I give this is two out of five stars or somewhere around there because like here's the thing. Love Carrie Condon. Mm-hmm. I think she's a great actress. I think she's doing some good acting here, but that accent real bad, <laughs> so distracting. Wyatt Russell fun guy he's a fun dad but they completely neuter his character halfway through the film the pool sequence like this is based off of a three minute short film mm-hmm. whose bright idea was it to like turn this into a, like stretch this whole idea out into a full film and not do anything creative narratively but like the pool scenes it's all cool shots it's all cool setup there's some cool visuals but it never scared me. Like, it got to, the, like, the actual punch, like, the actual scare. I'm just like, oh. Yeah. And then it's like, we have this really mysterious pull. What's going on? That's interesting. But then it chooses to have, like, hey, look, let's have somebody just pop up into the film in the middle of it and completely explain the whole entire thing for it. And I'm just like, every turn, it's just like, 
but and I'm just sitting in the theater like, oh my god, this movie because Atomic Monster and Blumhouse gave us hope that January horror films could be better with Megan last year and fun. And then they're like, we'll come back next January, first weekend, and give you Night Swim. And then this is what we got. And then they're like, well, don't worry, 2025, we got Megan too. You like the first one, right? <laughs> so we'll see. But no, this is much more of that endless trash kind of like January feel. Thank you, Red Letter Media. I, uh, I'm just going to read my letterbox review here. Cause I just had 12 incoherent thoughts that I put down okay. that I think are accurate. Number one, the power of the pool and the palm of my hand from doc wet sock, not doc, <laughs> doc wet sock. Is this pool, the sunken place of the fountain of youth? That was 10 minutes into the movie. So I was confused. Number three, that swimmer is a super nice kid. Glad he didn't die. And yes, I'm glad that kid didn't die. Uh, this is a family of cliches, headstrong dad, obsessed with sports, school worker, mom, older daughter who wants to be cool, curious and creepy son. Who's a loser. Yes. That son is just a loser. Sorry. It's, it's cooler that he kissed you. He's Christian. So it's like forbidden. That was the funniest line in this movie. I can't believe I heard it. I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so funny. <laughs> Uh, also, there's no way that this family just got health insurance when he's an MLB player. They have the craziest good health coverage from the players' union. I was like, there's no way you just got health insurance. Do your research. Their union is incredible. <laughs> and then I'll cut out some of the other ones. But Eddie, we're a pool now, Eddie. <laughs> is that and a Venom also, reference? Yeah. Uh, when the bile... Sorry, sport. When, like... The pool really starts to take over the one person. It literally just looked like Venom. And I was like, Eddie, oh my God, (laughs) you're not wrong. (laughs) That's the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here are my big two questions. Why couldn't they just fill the pool in with concrete? That was what I was saying. That was one of my other (laughs) things. I put my litter box. I was like, you can dig up dirt. Like, will will there be like morning dew and or runoff that still is evil water or something night like swim, that? Like night swim five mudslide. Morning dew. <laughs> um, my other, my other. Not it's not a question, I guess, but there's a moment at the end that should be a very difficult Sophie's choice type of thing, but it's not even considered. It's just like, oh, here's my choice, and uh, I don't know why. But that's just kind of how it works. And it's a very odd decision um, for a movie full of odd decisions. And I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's Night Swim. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's a good way to finish that conversation. That's Night Swim, baby. Uh, let's move on to Self-Reliance. <laughs> Given the opportunity to participate in a life or death reality game show, one man discovers there's a lot to live for. Directed by Jake Johnson, starring Jake Johnson, written by Jake Johnson, also starring Anna Kendrick, and again, lots of other faces. Um, Shane, what did you think of Self-Reliance? I just want to state that this is the most incredible letterbox anomaly I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Because literally every single person that I follow on Letterbox gave this a three and a half out of five stars. Whoa. I'm like I'm looking right now and 
it might be the same. <laughs> I'm like, wait, close what? <laughs> Here's the thing. This is probably my one of my favorite January experiences so far. Because I just had a fun time with this movie. Like, yeah. sure, it has some flaws. It's an hour and 25 minutes, which, like, this could have fleshed out some things more. But, you mm-hmm. know, they wanted to play it tight. Keep it tight. Um, Jake Johnson's great. Like, he obviously is great writing for himself and directing himself because he's just a delight to watch in this movie. And even, like, the moments where you have, like, Andy Samberg just being like, do you want to do this thing? He's like, you know what? Yeah, I do. And we're all just like, why? Why? (laughs) And, but Jake Johnson's so great doing it. Also, I don't know if another friendship in a movie this year will beat him and Biff Whiff's character of James, because I legitimately was like, I really like this friendship that's budding between these two characters. And you have a couple of moments where there's some, like, real meaty emotional takes and then just outrageous comedic elements. I love, like, the voyeuristic like camera people and their whole dynamic with Jake Johnson's character. Probably the biggest weakness I felt like was I feel like they could have done a lot more with Anna Kendrick and that element of the film. But no, I just like, I would watch more of these, like whether it's Jake Johnson for some weird, like, because like the dark web people are like, you are so amazing. We made other game shows for you to be part of, or they just had other people do this show. I'd totally be down for more of this. And generally, I'm not the kind of person who wants to actively go after sequels. But, like, I had a fun time with this. And if the same creatives are behind it... Also, there's one really great cameo at the end, because I love this person so much. I'm just so glad that they popped up in this movie. It's so random. Yeah, but... Actually, there are two cameos towards the end. I don't actually not sure which one you're talking about. The very last one. Okay. Because, okay. like, one that's, like, not an actual character to the film. Yeah, okay. Where just somebody is themselves. Just yeah, pops yeah. up randomly. But no, this was a fun time. I really enjoyed this. Like, I I didn't love this because of some flaws, but, like, I loved the experience watching this. And this is probably the one that I want to rewatch the most out of any of these movies. I'm right there with you, pretty much 100%. I'll, I'm not going to get too much more into it. I'll just add that, like, the direction itself is very good because Jake Johnson, uh, he's written a few movies already, but um, those are basically just improv credits because he's done Mumblecore uh, where they just kind of, you know, go and make up things on, on the spot. Um, but this is fully scripted, and he directs it for the first time. And it's really good. He's got... Some interesting visual flares. He uses some fisheye lenses. You know, he didn't have to, you know, do that, but he, he made some choices and I respect him for it. Um, unfortunately, they didn't destroy any classrooms with with Bitwiff, but, you know, you can, you can only ask for so much. <laughs> okay. Sam, what did you think? The, the best part is the, the prize money is paid in installments. That's hilarious. I know. Over. <laughs> it was like. Was that, that in another currency too? Yeah, it's in a different currency. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I appreciate that specific bit of writing. Because you is- know what? At the very end of it, it was all about the journey and the friends we made along the way. It's mm-hmm. so sweet. 
it's like very cheesy and pretty simplistic, but you respect it because the rest of the movie is just that that much fun. Yeah. I would probably say my favorite part is the camera crew showing up. I was like, this is probably what happens in Survivor, where like the camera crew goes up to those like starving contestants sleeping on the beach, like, hey, we need some more drama. Can you guys get up and talk about each other and how much you hate each other again? (laughs) I imagine that is what happens on Survivor. So, yeah, I would agree. Probably the biggest critique I would have is Anna Kendrick, not her performance, but I wish there was more to her role because it felt very right away. I was like, I know what this character is and what's going to happen here, but it's Anna Kendrick and it's impossible to not love her. Like I still listen to the soundtrack of the last five years and that movie sucks, but she is. I'm still hurting, Sam. I'm still hurting. I can do better than that, though, Shane. I can do better than that. I actually love that song. That song's fantastic. But she. Why everyone need a good cry? Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know why, but I usually only listen to it at work, and I don't. I think there's an unhealthy relationship there. <laughs> but I wish there was more for Anna Kendrick to do in this, and you know. I could win this game easy. I just fully believe I would just sit next to my wife for a month. Be like, you're not going anywhere without me. I'm going with you to school. You're sitting next to me during work. We're going to win this. I would like to put that theory to the test just because you're so confident about it. (laughs) Also, like all the assassins they sent, aside from uh, Boban, I feel like I I could take those assassins. (laughs) But Boban's like a solid 7-6, so I can't... (laughs) Hey, even John Wick had a hard time with him. I know. Come on. Yeah. I was not expecting him to come in there and obviously thought of John Wick before basketball. (laughs) Well, to be fair, I watch basketball and I didn't know who he was when I was watching John Wick either. So, Um, yeah. Conspiracy, this and John Wick are in the same universe. And this is a prequel to before John Wick. Yeah, this has to be a prequel. This is how this society started. (laughs) <laughs> just by these bit gigs. <laughs> That's how I'd like to think about. This is the real prequel. We don't want to talk about the Continental. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. Uh, I watched the Continental before my peacock fires. Uh, <laughs> Forget the beekeepers John Wick comparisons. This is this is a real thing. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Society of the Snow. The flight of a rugby team crashes on a glacier in the Andes. A few passengers who survived the crash find themselves in one of the world's toughest environments to survive. Directed by J.A. Bayona, starring Enzo Vog... Oh, jeez. Vogrinchich, uh, Augustin Pardea, Matthias Reykalt, and again, many more. We had a lot of uh, good ensemble <laughs> uh, movies this month that I had to say many more. I genuinely, like, full-throated love this movie. I... Didn't watch it till yesterday. Everyone else had already seen it. I, I waited just because it was almost two and a half hours. Man, this thing moved me. It's great. Uh, this is just great survival stuff. You know, it's a very tried and true type of movie. People trying to survive in the wilderness, um, whether it's the snow or the jungle or what have you. But uh, the way that this one goes about it, I think, is really interesting. At a certain point, I was getting a little bit frustrated that I didn't really know each of the characters well enough. Um, but I think that 
kind of ultimately works because you see yourself in the situation instead of trying to invest in certain characters specifically while still investing in specific characters because it does focus on a couple of them a little bit more than the others. At the end of the day, though, it like strips away everything, obviously. like They're in this snowy remote area where they can't get out for months and months because uh, because of the temperatures. So it gets down to the most basic of what it means to be human and like what we value and why and how we look for meaning. And I think it's an interesting way to go about it just by going by, by presenting a survival movie that could be traditional in a lot of senses. But I think it gets to the heart of humanity, gets to the heart of, of love and what drives us in a way that I was definitely not expecting just based on a survival movie. At the same time, Jay Bayona, he has that eye for, for scale and for intimacy. Um, like the moments within the, the plane while, you know, while they're just trying to stay warm, that's all really, really well done. Uh, as well as the, the plane crash itself. It's one of the more visceral, visceral plane crashes I've ever seen in a movie or TV. Like, I'm thinking Lost and The Grey and maybe not much else compares to it. Um, maybe I, Sully, I was really trying to... But what, would, what would you say? Maybe Sully, but that plane Oh, that's crash true. I haven't seen impressive. Sully or Flight, so I, I will use that as a, you know... The plane... I, I find the plane crash and Flight to be kind of funny, to be honest. But. I'll have to go watch those, but that's... I. But for now, those are the couple... But yeah, Bayona, he's great overall. This I I genuinely love this unabashedly. Great movie. Shane, what did you think? I really liked it. I think and that's the tough thing is this is incredibly well directed. Like Jay Bayona's incredible director. It looks gorgeous. The performances are great. I think the thing that held me back from loving it mm-hmm. is what you seem to love the most about like being able to like really connect yourself into the situation. I found myself, it's like on some level you care about people cause they're human. And then there's the level of really caring about somebody because you care about them. Right. And I never felt like I got to that point with anybody. I cared about them because these were human beings going through a terrible thing that, cause like films like the gray, I really loved. And like, I like, I wanted Otway to get the hell out of that situation. Right. And I really yeah. cared about him as a character. And also it honestly did feel long to me at times to this film, two hours and 24 minutes, mm-hmm. because there isn't a lot of variation in a lot of things. It just based off of the situation. But in the end, like this is an incredibly beautiful film, incredibly well-made and well-acted film. And I think it's very deserving of all the attention that it's getting. Because did this get did this get one of the five nominations for international film? It did get one of the five. Okay. Uh, Sam, what did you think? Very high level of liked it. I would give it an. I know we go off the liked it, love it, hate it. Just okay. I I gave it an eight, which is mm. usually either the low side of loved it or uh, high side of really liked it. The performances. I'll be honest, it was impossible for me to try to keep up with whose name was who. It was just because of the number of characters. And I still felt connected and empathetic towards every single person who was in there because of the situation and because of the terrific acting and the sense of dread and hopelessness while still demonstrating the human ability to endure is very 
very moving in that sense. And I love the snow. I don't know. I mean, growing up in the desert here in Arizona, like there's not a lot of snow. And when I went to college in Illinois, I loved seeing the snow and all the Midwesterners are like, oh, great. It's this time of year again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's beautiful outside. (laughs) Yeah, like beautiful outside. What are you talking about? And the way they shoot this area of like this beautiful, immaculate white it shining with the sun shining off and reflecting mm-hmm. is yeah it's beautiful but it's also terrifying because there's like we can't get out of here we have no chance of escape and seeing how these characters come together and seeing their willingness to fight against the dark things they have to do to survive is a very moving thing to do how respectful they are of their loved ones or their fellow yeah. companions who passed before they delve into the disgusting things you have to do to survive when you're in that area and hearing about how they lived that long, like apparently in the real news, like they didn't tell anybody for like months that that's how they survived. Like they just didn't. And then when it finally came out, like if I remember right, they all got kind of a slap on the wrist from the government, but they're like, yeah, what are we going to do? Like, we're we're glad you're alive. (laughs) Like, right. Like we're glad you guys are still here. Jay Bayona is such a talented director, and I feel like you don't have a ton of money to work with in a lot of international films, so like you better be making the right decisions. This is a harrowing story that deserves to be told, and I'm glad that it was. Sam, to go back to a point you were making earlier about endurance and like the the triumph of the human spirit, like that's definitely part of the movie. Um, but I, what I like about it is that it kind of goes deeper than that and says why they want to endure and why they want to make the difficult decisions of like what they eat, you know, and that sort of thing and how they continue to survive. Um, It's not just like, Oh, I want to survive. You know, it's, it's, it gets into how each character has a different motivation. Um, Each person has to find their own reason for surviving and has to find their own reason to continue to stay alive. Um, And that's kind of what, um, and I, Shane, I get what you're saying with like that it's a little bit repetitive and and it's difficult to keep track of the characters. Um, like I'm not going to say you're wrong or argue against that. But the reason that it works for me is because it just kind of the each moment kind of builds on the next. Um, and I know each one of the characters just enough that um, I'm invested in the whole journey and the and the survival of the group. Um, you're right. It's not the gray. The gray is genuinely one of my favorite movies of all time so uh it's difficult for a movie to reach that height but um i like that it, it says like bigger picture things than what the gray is saying the gray is much more personal the, the society of the snow is like find what you need to survive it's different for each and every person and we're going to show you just a little snippet of each of these people and why they want to survive um and even though i'm just sitting here podcasting i need to find you know, my own little reason to survive every day. And I, and I find that, you know, really moving and really inspiring in a way that not all, uh, you know, survival movies of this ilk have always gotten me to. to it's feel. to get home to your girls, right, Robert? <laughs> I got to get home to the girls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. This is um, indeed better than ISS. Like 100%. a lot. <laughs> It's like a tank to a Dixie cup. Like, let's not, not even get horrible. <laughs> um, let's move on to our wild cards. Um, Sam, I know what yours is because you mentioned it ahead of time. So I'm just going to let you go and run with it. 
I loved Underdogs, the Snoop Dogg-led peewee football movie. It was hilarious from start to finish. I didn't really feel like there was... You know, this is something I don't really like about comedies, and I understand that it's part of the formula. A lot of the times in comedies, there has to be some kind of end of second act crisis where it's like the two love interests realize they lied to each other or the best friends in super bad are like, you're going to Dartmouth and you're going to live with that loser. I can't go to Dartmouth. I have to go to the state school. And it's a lot of the time it can feel very forced. I didn't, there was a very, very short end of second act, beginning of third act crisis here in underdogs. And it lasted like that long where Snoop Dogg is like going to get a chance to like be like a, NFL color commentator. And then he's like, nope, screw this. I want to coach those kids. And I appreciate that he was just like, no, nah, I'm not doing this. Because it, the tension wasn't what I was there for. I was there to hear, hear Snoop Dogg make jokes about the equivalent of Skip Bayless in this universe and see kids play football <laughs> against each other. It was fun. It, they seemed to not promote the violence of football, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. And they showed some cool plays happening. And the ending actually really was kind of emotional in a positive way that I liked not to give away the ending here, but I appreciated the ending not being like, it's all sunshine and rainbows to quote uh, Rocky Balboa. Like I appreciate the ending having some realness to it. And I honestly, each of those in a movie like this, it can be difficult where you have a cast of child actors because you don't know what level of acting you're going to get. I thought all the child actors were actually very good. And they all were funny or they had a unique character that they were working with or something that Snoop Dogg got to coach the kids up on. And I appreciated that movie and had a good time. It's number two on my end on my 2024 movies list right now, which and I'm sure it's going to stay there for the next 11 months. Yeah, man. Screw Dune, too. It's not going <laughs> to not even approaching this. Yeah. Shane, what is your wild card? So. Out of the 91 films that I've watched so far for 2024, oh I've only given... How many did you one, see for 2023? Um, I can tell you that right now. You, it's uh, January 1971. Oh my goodness. All right, go ahead. Out of your 91, what? I gave one five star so far okay. this year. And it's A Storm Foretold. And it's a new documentary about Roger Stone. Who's Roger Stone? The political godfather of Donald Trump. Uh-huh. And what's fascinating about this documentary, this is not a documentary about Roger Stone in the sense that like somebody's like, we need to do something, and like this is why this man is bad. No, this is a documentarian who just followed this man around. And for some reason, Roger Stone thought it was a good idea for him to capture all the things that he does from all of his work in terms of riling up Stop the Steal campaign literally six months before there was even an election, preparing to have all of these things together to make sure that Trump was staying in office no matter what happened in the democratic elect the democratically voted election in 2020, and just seeing this very raw look at what goes on behind the curtain of our political system. And this is one of the most horrifying things I've ever watched. And I sat there for the, like, 90 minutes of this film, 
just shook to the core about what a messed up system that we have and how much worse it is than we probably thought Mm. and makes me really scared for this year and this election. So yeah, if you really want to like shake yourself to the core and well, that's an interesting thing because I feel like somebody could watch this film and be like, this is the most inspirational film I've ever watched. Mm. And then there's somebody else could watch this and it's the most terrifying thing they've ever witnessed. And that's what's so fascinating about this documentary because it it just happens. It just captures what who this man is. And he says some things where I'm just like, I cannot believe it. you allowed a documentarian to capture you saying those things on tape. A couple years ago, there was a documentary series on HBO called Q Into the Storm. Did you either of you guys happen to see that? Yeah, I watched like the first episode of it and I thought it was that- interesting. I had the same thought about like why did these guys give such unprecedented uh, access to their lives. Um, is it like pride? Is this it is arrogance? Worse. Oh, like that? Yeah, I guess. And the fact that they believe they're so right. Interesting. I'll have to check this out. That sounds really, really interesting. Is it out somewhere? Is it like on VOD? Not yet. It's one of those things. Like it came out in theaters January fifth. Gotcha. Because <laughs> I can guarantee oh, yeah. you where this goes. And what's the la- like the third act of this film? And it sure is. And like the fi- like the final moments of this, what comes out of Roger Stone's mouth, I'm like, that's like you go you could go to prison for having saying stuff like this on tape. I mean, you should, but he probably won't, or but he definitely won't. Uh, well, my wild card is on a much lighter note than, you know, the fall of democracy in the Western world. Um, it's the only other movie that I saw that was released in January, and it was Good Grief, uh, Dan Levy's uh, directorial debut. I, I didn't love it, but it was fine. You know, yeah, it was pleasantly a sweet surprised. little movie. Yeah. Uh, Ever since yesterday came out, I've been wanting to see more Himesh Patel. He's probably the best performance in the movie. Um, it's also nice to see Ruth Nega getting more work after um, passing, which she's amazing in. Um, Dan Levy's a good actor. I don't know about his writing skills for this movie. That's probably my my main criticism is that he throws out literally every platitude about grief in that there ever has been. Um but hey, it's a nice sentimental movie about how friends can help you get through tough times, and it's it's nice. That's that's about the extent of it. Um, can I throw a special think? shout out to a film that I hope everybody sees? I don't think it's really coming out until February, but it's like in one city by the end of January, and it's hundreds of beavers. Uh, it's better be better than the beekeeper. <laughs> So the idea is this is a like this strange black and white sto- uh, like comedy about a guy who's an apple picker who turns into a fur trapper who needs to hunt down furs and all the animals are just people in animal costumes <laughs> and it is the most absurd ridiculous hour and 48 minutes I've spent watching a movie in a long time and I kind of love it this is this is exactly the type of movie title and synopsis that I think of when like when you just message me and say like here this new movie came out can I review it 
And I look up, look it up on IMDb and it's hundreds of beavers, a black and white absurd comedy <laughs> about people dressing up as animals. Like what? In the world? Shut, uh, up my, shut up and take my money. <laughs> can I write about it, Robert? Yes, you can. I will, uh, it's on the record right now. You can, you can <laughs> write about it. Um, <laughs> let's move on to our last segment, our favorite movies of the year so far. Um, last year, I started this segment probably about March or April, waited for some more movies to get out. So we weren't just like saying this is my favorite by default. But Sith Pop writer Jake B asked me to to bring it up for January. And I'm nothing if not a man of the people. So we're bringing it, bringing it back early. Uh, I'll just say quickly, my favorite movie of the year so far is Book of Clarence. I liked it a lot, but I hope it changes. So, <laughs> Sam, what was your what's your favorite movie? Retweet. Favorite movie of the year so far? Just just straight up retweet. Literally, that is my second film right behind a storm foretold. Oh, oh, right. That kind of probably should have been obvious after your five stars. Your yeah. only five star of the year. Nice. Uh, but yeah, ahead. let's let's hope that we get better things than Book of Clarence because that means we'll get some more like great films this year. And yeah. how many of us do you think Doom Part 2 is going to be their number one film of the year by the end of the year? I posted on Blue Sky that my expectations for Doom Part 2 aren't that high, but mm-hmm. it'll literally ruin my entire year if it's not my favorite movie of the year. So, you know, not not that big a deal. Not that high expectations. No. I have, I, I have like, I feel like if Furiosa is not my favorite film by the end of this year, I will be very disappointed. I think you might have to change your name if, if it's not. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I, I mean, Venom 3 is coming out in November, so. Is it actually? I forgot about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it one. is. No, because the MCU has one film, DCEU doesn't start yet, but we get how many Sony Marvel movies this year? Like three, three, right? Oh yeah, because Craven, Craven is coming out too. Madam Web and Venom Three all existing this year. We feel terrible what? dragging my wife to Madam Web on her birthday weekend. It's going to be great. Well then, <laughs> then don't. <laughs> I have no uh, choice. <laughs> if you say so, okay. Uh, Jake B asked me to do the favorite movies of the year so far segment because he wanted to hear someone say Beekeeper. Uh, so I have to apologize to him Not that no today. one said Beekeeper. You should have invited Luke on. I know, right? <laughs> it just so happens he was on last month. Um, I want to circle back around real quick, guys. We just, we just mentioned Book of Clarence again. So spoilers for Book of Clarence. If you haven't seen it, we're going to do full spoilers going forward for just about three minutes. I just want to ask a question. Um, did Jesus go through what he went through in the Bible? Like, did he get crucified or like what, what happened there at the end? My, I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. My guess was that it was implying that yes, it is going to happen. And the implication was that the Roman empire didn't think anything of it because they were doing it so frequently to so many people who were claiming to be some kind of Messiah. So my thought was the real Jesus, not the Benny to Cumberbatch Jesus, right? Not like he's not like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> that was the funniest part of the movie. I saw yes. him walk out with the wig, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yes. <laughs> but and then them doing the painting while he's on the cross. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I. Uh, I. My thought was yes. My th- yeah. My thought is like that will happen to him. Okay. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I guess it depends on what where you're coming from sure. with this. 
Because, like, are you taking this as an interpretation of, like, actual events? Are you taking this as a one director's exploration? Because, like, I was feeling much more Last Temptation of Christ kind of feel where, like, this is a director taking the story of Jesus and navigating their own feelings of faith through a story. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's what Last Temptation of Christ is. I feel like that's what the Book of Clarence is. I don't know if this is trying to be, uh, like, maybe this is what really happened kind of thing. It's more of, like, somebody taking their own feelings and expressing them through the story of Jesus. So, like, in context, in context of the film, I think yeah. it's going to happen to Jesus, too. Mm-hmm. That See, that was my thing. I was looking at it and seeing everything that was happening. A lot of it lines up with what's in the Bible. So I was taking it as like, it's following what happens in the Bible, but just saying, hey, these people were here also. Or this this happened between verses that wasn't you know mentioned in the Bible. Um, so I was figuring logically that Jesus was going to, you know, uh, be crucified because it does show like the Last Supper, and I really like that shot too. That that was really cool how it whips around and like makes the actual Last Supper painting, um, because it was following so closely up until then. I'm not saying I would be against the Last Temptation type of thing. I just didn't seem like that's what the movie was up until then. I was just kind of trying to figure out and get my head around what it was trying to do at the very end. One thing that we didn't really talk about that I really appreciate about this is, and I can't believe I'm going to bring up this comparison, but I like movies where they let the director actually do their own interpretation of what God or Jesus would be like. That's why I like James Samuel's interpretation of who Jesus is in this movie, the actual Jesus character. Um, not to say anything about the crazy, stupid Noah movie, but like, I actually kind of like that movie's portrayal of God as or, or Noah's conversations with him as mm-hmm. it being it's not really an actual conversation. It's dreams that he's having, that he's interpreting this way. And even uh, that terrible movie, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Exodus. I actually really like that interpretation of God. I was like, that's really interesting. Um, the movie sucks, but that was interesting. Shane, please tell okay. your more intellectual point than whatever I just said. Thank you. Well, no, like, no, I really appreciate that perspective. And that's what's really, that's the entire point of art. That's the point of film is us trying to process these things. And I feel like that's why so many people get really frustrated by like big studio films is that they don't always feel like there's somebody expressing their perspective. It's more like somebody was brought in to captain the ship and like, this is what was asked of them and why you could connect deeper on something that is really from somebody's perspective. And that's all this is this film. James Samuel let it all out. Right. You could argue, did he let a little too much out? Sure. <laughs> but he let it all out, and he left it out there for all of us to experience. Yeah, uh, I like that. That's a great cap. Um, thanks for helping me talk through that one little thing that of an otherwise meaningful movie that I enjoyed. Um, quick reminder that the Sip Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media. 
If you're interested in writing for sifpop.com or if you want to get in contact with us, then email us at writersroom at sifpop.com. Uh, you can join me next month as I talk to Sifpop writers Alice and the aforementioned Jake B as we talk about some of the biggest movies of February. But until then, we have to get back to the writers' room. <laughs>